This week on The Clubhouse, Anthony and I are joined by the official scorer for the Minnesota Twins, Stu Thornley. Stu chats with us about the intricacies of keeping score, the history of the Minnesota Twins, and much, much more. This episode was recorded in the press box at Target Field. Welcome to the show, everybody. It is a wonderful day for baseball. I am Manish Jain, and sitting next to me, as always, is Mr. Anthony Rapp. Hello. Our guest today is a prolific author whose books include Six Feet Under, A Graveyard Guide to Minnesota, Holy Cow, The Life and Times of Halesley Hall, and Baseball in Minnesota, The Definitive History. He is also the official scorer for the Minnesota Twins. He has literally written the book on the Twins. Joining us in the clubhouse today... Stu Thornley. I feel like I should have walk-up music. I know, right? That's that. the idea. That's what he's. That's what he's going for. Yeah. He's trying to be like, yeah, yeah. This is as close I'm gonna get as ever being an, an MLB uh, broadcaster. So I have to live vicariously through my little podcast here. But Stu, thank you so much for oh, for joining us today. Glad to do it. We are currently sitting in the beautiful uh, Minnesota Twins media room in their press box. It's a Kind of a confusing press box to get to. Uh, I, I spent most of my time in the Comerica Park press box that you just kind of walk in, take an elevator up, and boom, you're there. Anthony and I got a little bit lost kind of uh, walking around Target Field here. But <laughs> once we're inside, it's he's, really nice. I like it. He's oh, well, that's, the, that's yeah. the thing. I could show you a less confusing press box at the Metrodome. Well, I can't anymore. <laughs> but it's a lot nicer here once you get by the confusion. This is oh, beautiful, beautiful here, the workroom, the press box itself. After And the ballpark is beautiful after nearly 30 years in the Metrodome, both with being indoors all the time and the press facilities, everything is very nice here. Yeah, I'm excited for Anthony. I mean, I was trying to tell him to close his eyes today because I want him, tomorrow is our official game here at Target Field. Okay. And I wanted him to really get the experience of seeing the, the, the stadium packed with fans and the yep. smells and the sounds. And, you know, when you come on an off day like this or come earlier in, in the day when, you know, the pomp and circumstance isn't there, sometimes the atmosphere kind of isn't as, as, as special. Right. But, uh, I think, you know, I, this is, I, I really do. I had a great time at this park when I came here on my, on my uh, 30 stadium tour. And I think Anthony's going to like it tomorrow. Well, yeah, it's a great place. And, you know, but what you mentioned too is I like getting here early and setting up and, when they start batting practice, when it's still a little quiet of listening to the sounds of baseball. Yeah, that's really, there's that purity. You know, I know we, we keep talking, you know, we're, I'm going to talk ad nauseum about Wrigley, but, you know, just being there the other day, that that feeling of, of the purity of baseball. And just from my first glance of this park is it feels very, like, think they've kept it simple in a nice way, which I really appreciate from, from just my first look at it. You know, it feels like the the field is beautifully manicured. There's not a lot of noise and stuff going on around in the stands. You know, it, it feels very focused in a, in, a, in a nice way, which I kind of appreciate a lot. Now, when you get to Miami, I know you're going to be getting there. Yeah. And I, I got there when they, year they opened the stadium. It just, I felt like I was in a Chuck E. Cheese. Wee! Thank yeah. you. That is the perfect way. I've been to... 
trying to figure out a way to to put my thoughts in in, in words. And yes, it is a Chuck E. Cheese. The, the <laughs> Do they have animatronic scheme, people? No, but yeah. they have they have topless <laughs> women in left field. They have they well, have. I miss uh, that. And and at the Clevelander, you didn't spend any time in the beautiful Clevelander. And no, uh, I didn't. The Clevelander, for those who and will be going there uh, in uh, but a month now, I believe. But uh, in Miami, they have this this night cult, nightclub uh, behind the uh, left field fences, and it's called the Clevelander. There's a pool there. Oh. There's a bar. They've got cigar girls walking around that like an old timey twenties gear to kind of uh, pass out cigars and cigarettes to folks. And there are topless dancing women. Now they are body painted and i'm using the air quotes for body paint <laughs> so they have the marlins body paint on them but they are very beautiful looking women who do not have very many clothes on yeah, and it's at, miami well at first yeah. i was like this is kind of tacky but then this is where the genius comes in one of the games that i went there they were they happened to be playing the tigers and the tigers were winning going into the ninth inning and joaquin benoit who was a closer at the time was warming up the bullpen i'm in the clevelander and i noticed oh, they built this right next to the visitor's bullpen. <laughs> and I'm seeing Joaquin Benoit in between warm-up pitches kind of side-eye and kind of walk <laughs> a little bit too close to the glass uh, partition there and, and take a look at the, the entertainment for the evening. And Joaquin Benoit entered the game and promptly gave up the lead, and the Marlins won. So, so I applaud you, Marlins Park. There's Good a method to that for the distraction <laughs> and all that. That's, That's I didn't know that. I didn't. I didn't explore the stadium that closely. Sure, but, but there's no there's no such sin for the Twins, right? Twins. It's Minnesota. It's wholesome, wholesome baseball. Oh, right? it is. Yeah. Uh, the strip club's about three blocks. Away. Oh, see, there you go. <laughs> they keep it a little distance. So, um, you you were. Were you born in... Yeah, I'm from this area, yeah. Minneapolis. I grew up by the University of Minnesota, which is just across the Mississippi River. My mom taught at the U of M, and my dad had grown up in that area. He was a big sports fan, and it was a fantastic place for a sports fan with the University of Minnesota sports. And I, I worked in radio after I got out of high school, and one job down in Missouri and another in central Minnesota, and then came back, went to school. I've lived here, lived here ever since. And do you remember the age where you became a fan of the Twins? Well, the first Twins game I went to, I was just shy of my seventh birthday, and I still remember it well. Not the whole game, snippets of it here and there. I think I was hooked at that point, but I, I was also watching the games with my dad. My mom was also a fan. You're talking about on TV. On TV, yeah. 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 And so somewhere in there, I guess I, but I, I really felt like when I got to my first game, and that was something so special. Uh, to and it was at Met Stadium, and I, I was hooked on it, I guess, at that point, if I wasn't already. And so you'd been watching games on TV at that point, so you had a relationship to the players. And so when you say you, you did you have, did, do you have a memory of like, I know you were so young, but whether the experience of being there was sort of crazier than you would imagine from watching on TV, or was it different, or was it, you know what I mean? Like, well, a lot of people will say this that. Those of us who grew up with black and white TVs, that experience at the ballpark for the first time, it's the colors. Yeah. And, it, well, I suppose a green grass, although most of the Twins games we'd see would be road games. So they're in their flannel grays. Or it's black and white anyways. But now here they have the pinstripes that they had at the time with a, a nice kind of vibrant blue and the little uh, the, the, on the classic you know they still wear these on saturday or something like that to see those in color that's what stands out to me more than the field 
and just things. I knew the players. In fact, the Twins in 1962 had pretty much a set lineup that I could rattle off. Lenny Green, center field, Vic Power, first base. And, and I don't know if I'd been trying to memorize numbers. I just had a, a feeling when I was out there, like I knew more. Like, number two, oh, yeah, that's Zoli over size. Well, how did I know that? You know, you still do that when you get old. Sure. How did I remember that? And Were you a baseball card guy? I collected them, but not for... I, and I still have them, but it's not a very, you know, it's a, not a huge box. But that was when you'd go get them for the pack for a nickel, and then you'd you'd sort them by teams, and then you'd sort your duplicates, and you'd trade, and then you'd take the clo- clothespin and put it in the spokes of your bike and wreck the car. <laughs> That's funny. So, you know, who knows how much, and, and I've kept, I've never looked at selling them. I don't know what anybody would give me for it. I don't yeah, care. Yeah, so I think I don't that really market's that. kind of gone. I mean, I, I grew up in an era where, we were very much aware that, or at least we thought we were aware that we were sitting on gold mine here. And me and my friends, we had our future business already planned. You know, we were collecting these cards, keeping them in pristine conditions, rookie cards, misprint cards, whatever it is, and have them really nicely. But then the internet wasn't invented and the internet kind of killed baseball cards. And all of my grand plans of becoming a baseball card millionaire went out the window. And well, I, many <laughs> many saw theirs go out the window when they uh, when their mom threw their cards yes. out and they think back on some of those. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, you know, had you sold your collection in like the 90s, you could have made bank. But I think now, yeah, yeah those, those... But I mean, I, I think baseball cards are... Actually, we haven't really talked about baseball cards on this show with any of our guests. Not so much, yeah. Uh, you know, I think that was such a, a unique way for young people to connect to the game in a way well, that... I know we have all this access now. We've got our smartphones. We've got the internet. We've got a way to really go to baseball reference or go to fan graphs or go wherever and dive deep. But to me, there's something very simplistic simplistic of giving a six-year-old, seven-year-old kid, here's a cardboard, you know, piece of cardboard with a picture on it. And on the back, here's some very simple, basic stats. It's not war. It's not yeah. BABIP. It's not all these things. It's batting average, home runs, you know, uh, uh, run scored, et cetera. And I think, I mean, that's how I came to the game. That's, that's how I started to love and appreciate the game, was being able to understand the, the simplicity of it all. Yeah, it, for, for me, to get to know the National League players, since yeah. we'd have the Saturday game of the week, and I can remember watching All-Star games and getting to know, yeah, I certainly knew Willie Mays and Hank Aaron by that time, but Willie Stargell, Billy Williams, people like that. Uh, but also the to some of the others that you didn't see, they were National League, uh, get, get to know the players. It was a way to connect with it. it. Of course, we didn't go out and buy the whole box set. You got them a little bit at a time, which was the fun of it, to see how many. Yeah, and see what's in there, right? Get, yeah. yeah, see what's yeah. in there. And that, that cardboard bubble gum, too. That, oh, yeah. so good slash awful. I, yes. <laughs> now, do you remember which of the players you particularly followed or identified with or were I don't know if you would call them your hero or whatever. Yeah. You know. Well, first of all, I, I glommed onto the Yankees and so of course at that time is Mickey Mantle. Yeah. So of course I thought Mickey Mantle drank milkshakes and went home early and got a good <laughs> night's sleep and learned learned about that later. On the twins and they had so many good ones, but Earl Batty. And and part of it might have been that my brother Pick for his favorite player, Harmon Killebrew. So I wanted to pick somebody different. I like <laughs> the name Batty. He's a batter. He's, but he was an outstanding catcher. And for Killebrew and Batty were the nicest guys. And uh, I know Earl Batty came and spoke with my. This was my Cub Scouts group at one time. And but we were also family 
in Milwaukee, and the Twins, by chance, were playing an exhibition game back when they used to play exhibition games. We were staying at the same hotel, the Schrader Hotel in Milwaukee, and there are some of the Twins in the uh, in the lobby. And my brother and I went up to Earl Batty. He was reading the paper, said hi. He put on the paper. He was so nice, and he chatted with us. And, That's great. Yeah, uh, so he's. I guess he, if I say, if do I have an all-time favorite twin, I'd say Earl Batty. Wow, yeah. I love that. Now, what what point did you get involved in working in the baseball world? Well, I went into broadcasting because of the desire to be with sports. So I was at both stations that I worked at in Missouri and central Minnesota, either sports caster or sports director. And I started also doing public address announcing. Well, not when I was working at those jobs, but about that same time. And... I came back, went to college, decided, you know, do something more sensible and more practical and, and things like that, and but managed to keep in it. Now, part of it was I joined the Society for American Baseball Research, and that was a big prompt to quit reading what somebody else has written and go out and do it yourself. Yeah, and that gives you access to certain archival information or just Well, you- some, some special access, but I think more than that, just uh, access to each other. But they put out an annual research journal, and I thought, oh, wow, I could, I could write for this. I could mm. get my, you know, and back at this time, 1979, to get your name and print meant on a typewriter, you sure. know. Like, it was before you had a Mac that could print this <laughs> off really cool looking. So to get a typeset, and I thought, oh, is this going to impress women? <laughs> is it going to help my chances? Uh, oh. But I, so I went from that, and I enjoyed research, and I already enjoyed writing. So I started doing that, and you know, you do one thing, it leads to another. Opportunity leads to opportunity. So more and more getting into different things. And um, so many, from from the writing, I, I also was doing umpiring at that time. So Eventually, what sort, of, what sort of umpiring? At what level? Just uh, City League softball, uh-huh. which I tell people I think is a good, because people want to maybe know about getting into official scoring. And I say, I think umpiring is great. Experience. In fact, just recently, a noted umpire in the Twin City area uh, was asking me, said he's thinking about getting into it. I said, let's get together and talk. But I said, I think you've got the best experience there is an umpire. And both, you know, when you're umpiring, also you get a sense of should a player make a play or shouldn't he? You're used to reading rules. There's different rules for scoring, but you're, you know about getting into a rule book. But more than that, you get experience being decisive, making decisions, and you get experience at taking crap. <laughs> and that's all yeah. important. Um, and, you know, if we, we talk about that, the stress in the press box has gone down in recent years in part because the players have the right to send plays in for review uh, to appeal scoring decisions. At what point does that happen? happens quite a bit. and But, I mean, what like if, oh. so say, say the ball is hit hard to the second baseman, who kind of fumbles it, and it could be a hit or it could be an error, right? right? So that's that's sort of a classic one, right? If it's called an error, does the player, as soon as he or she is, is he, it's only he, is back in the dugout, does he give an alert, and then they, they call up to see if it can be reversed? Um, is that how it works? No, it would be after the game. Oh, after and, the game. And so, the, I mean, the decision to send it in. Yeah, now, so players, that could be, there can be retroactive score changes. Oh, that there. happened. Right. That yeah. happened yeah. Ortiz, I think, got, got a, a, a play overturned well, last year. Yeah, and that was in that U Darvish. And then no hitter. Uh, perfect game, no hitter, that yeah. their fielders messed up. So it would be after the game as far as sending it in. Uh, players, Ortiz has been known to wave at, <laughs> at the press box. 
<laughs> uh, but one thing before the system, well, the teams before that had the right to send it in, but they didn't want to overdo it, and so they would send it in rarely. But more than that, they'd come and hammer on you to change it. Or if they knew they weren't going to get you to change it, they'd hammer on you for the sake of hammering on you. And now it's more, okay, if a player doesn't like it, he's got the right to send it in. And there would be phone calls from the, from the dugout, usually from a coach. Uh, some managers got involved in it a little bit more. A lot of times it's more of the coaches. Now you get a hitting coach and you've just called an error and the guy doesn't get the hit. Yeah. And sometimes they can be a little sensitive. You know, I mean, their, their job is depending on how well the team is doing. Pitching coaches can be that way too. If you sure. call a hit, <laughs> and now and there's there's one in particular who's we get used to when they come to town that you know and you have to resist it. That's that's yeah, the whole thing. You can't yeah, just yeah. say, "Oh, we're afraid this guy's going to call up." You've got to make your call on what you think it is. And then when it when it is reviewed, who how does the review process work? Um, it will go to what well, Joe Torrey's been doing it. Mm. And he he there used to be a committee that would look at it. Well, more calls came in since the players have the right on their own to send it in. And I think that might have been the same year that Torrey went into the executive offices, 2012. I think he was, was he still managing the Dodgers through 2011? I think so. Yes. Well, they needed somebody to do this. Now, <laughs> I don't know if this is what Joe signed up for, but on the other hand, he was the perfect person for it because, and so it, kind of out of a sense of duty, it was foisted on him. But the guy's played the game. He certainly knows what it's like to take hot shots down at third base. He's been a catcher. He's been a manager, and so people respect his judgment on this, but they also respect his fairness and all of that, too. And I think he's the perfect person for it because the players feel like, okay, we've got Joe Torre who can look at this if we don't, if we don't agree and feel like they're well served by that. And the scores have the same that's opinion, a, that, a that tremendous sounds, amount of respect for him. That sounds really like a good situation. Well, so I, what I want to do, though, actually, is we, we kind of jumped right into the score discussion. I really want to uh, explain to some of our listeners who may not fully appreciate or understand what it is that an official scorer's job entails, you know, because it is it's not a very highly publicized position unless you quote unquote <laughs> yeah. get it wrong. You know, and so I think you know, you're just kind of there in the background. So can you just kind of explain a little bit about what your day is like and what your responsibilities are like and kind of just what it is to be an official scorer? Well, it can be pretty low key for coming in and just getting set up and filling out a few forms and the game starts and then you're watching every pitch closely, uh, keeping score on your own score sheet. And later on, you'll put You'll transcribe that the numbers into another. So is it manually, or is it in a computer, or is it something that someone else has access to, or is it just all on you to do? Um, it's bo it's both in a sense. At the end of the game, we will fill out an ex like it's an extended box score and just put in the it's more a lot more columns than you'll see in a standard newspaper box score. But then next to us is the MLB.com game day datacaster. When, and I also do that half the time when I'm not doing the official scoring. And that person will um, be entering pitch by pitch and, of course, going by what the official score rules on a hit or an error or anything like that. So that's nicely in a computer that is used to generate the official statistics. The game file is sent in. 
we will still fax our box scores to Elias Sports Bureau. Fax the, them. Fax. You just used the word fax. The, have you heard about it? 2015. I think I also said right newspaper, now. too. Yes. I don't know if you're leaving too many people <laughs> <Yes>. behind. <laughs> well, the, our, that's also got <laughs> scanning for email. It's easiest, or at least I've learned what the number is, and maybe a, one less step than... And so, and where is Elias? Are they? They are in New York, and I've never been to their offices, but I think they're pretty close to the Major League Baseball headquarters. And how many people work there? Like, what is you know? I don't know, but they sure like have some mysterious... good some good folks. I don't know how big it is, but we when we have our scores meetings, now John Water or John Lombarda and Bob Waterman will come over. They're kind of young guys who have something like combined seventy five years of experience at Elias. Now that's great. And these guys are the ones, if we have a rules question, and we'll call them and just to clarify something. They're the Supreme Court on rules. Now, I also, I'm, I'm on the advisory committee for the official scores, and I, I wrote a case book for the rules section. And there's a lot of things that in there that you can look at the scoring rule and say, well, how about this situation? How do you rule it? Yeah. Well, I worked with John Lombombarda a lot back and forth because I didn't, decide, oh, this is the way I think it should be. It was work with John on it because he is the chief justice really of the Supreme Court when it comes to rules. Really now, I guess amazing. on the other way, Joe Torrey might be the chief justice <laughs> sure, sure. when it comes to the judgment chief calls. Justices, yeah. there, there's a, a, a play that we saw. I don't know how much you pay attention to I was other literally say the same thing <laughs> that, are, that are happening around the league at any given time. But last week, we, we were lucky enough to go to City Field to watch the three-game Cubs series in New York. I'm you know, a huge Cubs, yes. Cubs fan. So there was a play in one of those games that I had never seen anything remotely like it before. And it, it took a while for the umpires to kind of clarify the call. It would, like they were conferring with each other for quite a while. And then Joe Madden came out and they had a little talk. And then, you know, so I'll try to describe it as well as I can. There was a runner on second and third. There was a missed squeeze bunt. There was then a rundown between third and home. There was a runner. The runner was, mm. you know, the lead runner was between third and home. They were ran, running him back to third. The trail runner had now gotten to third. The lead runner passed, stepped on third, but then passed the third base. The guy who was the, the trail runner went into foul ground. Miguel Montero, the catcher, tagged first the, the, the trail runner who was standing on third, tagged him. The umpire called him out, tagged the, the lead runner in foul ground, and the umpire called them both out. But then immediately, the other umpire was like, wait. And they conferred, 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 and that the trail runner... Daniel Murphy was called safe ultimately because he was on the base by himself. Yes, at that he was time. on the base by However, himself. However, though, at time. It's, we were we were confused by. We always thought that if if runners pass each other, then yes, because well, the lead the, the trail runner had at this point now the the lead runner had had uh, uh, run past the other way against the the trail runner. So that's why we were both. I believe it's the first scene in Little Big League in the movie Little Big League, which I believe was uh, featured the Minnesota Twins, right. but. I, I, I always felt that once you pass the base runner, you're out. You cannot pass the base runner. Did he actually pass? So, so, so the one runner got to third base. The other runner was being run down. And he said he passed the base. Did he pass it into fall territory? Into yes. fall territory. He didn't and go that's, back. Yeah. That's the ultimate I mean, thing. If he had turned yeah. and gone back, okay. now, yeah. now then the runner who was on third would be called out for missing, for passing the runner. Okay. Even though he's just standing there at this <laughs> yes, point. Exactly. But he would have... Uh, and then the other runner could still be put out. That had yeah. to be very confusing. So it for was the confusing. So ultimately, confusing that was the reason was that he that the guy essentially the, the umpire said he abandoned his effort to yeah. 
do anything really because he just sort of went into foul yeah. ground. Yeah. So he sort of surrendered in a way. So he was automatic. He was essentially automatically out. They didn't yeah. even need to put him out. Yeah, well, he, he left the base pads. Yeah. As soon as you lose the ba- leave the base pads, you know, I've I've seen that happen a lot. Yeah, of you abandon it, so you're out. But then the other runner who's and sometimes there gets to be confusion and it confuses the umpires and it can confuse the players. So obviously, in nor- normal circumstances, the best thing to do is both of you get your get yourself on the base. <laughs> the fielder comes up, doesn't start to think who's you know which right. one's out. Tag them both and let the umpires sort it out. And <laughs> yeah. then the runners, if they're smart and they not don't leave, always, don't do anything, don't leave until the umpire says you're oh, out. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, But that gets that can get mucked up in a lot of ways. And once in a while, somebody will just get confused to runner and take a step back off the bit. No, don't do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. always keep your foot on the bag. You know, yeah. we always, everybody always says this. There's, you know, 2000, I can never remember the exact number, 2100 something, something or 2200 games played every year. Right. I think it's like 2,630. No, 32. Yeah. 32. Yeah. Thank so you. thank you. So <laughs> times a hundred, whatever. So, so many games, right. And you still see things you've never seen before. And that's kind of unbelievable. And that was one thing that I certainly had never seen anything like that in any games that I'd watched. Yeah. And well, I imagine if after all these years of keeping score, you still must see sometimes some situations or things. Well, some things have just come up. And this I was talking with the Elias people that we have to stress to the scorers that the rule book has one section for scoring rules. So you better know that cold. But the rest of the rules in there are for the umpires, the playing rules. They... We better know those pretty well. Now we don't. I say I don't study the Bach rule to for every intricacy. If, if the umpire calls a Bach, I know it's a Bach. I don't. Most of the time, I don't know why. <laughs> yes. I don't think anybody does. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. You're right. <laughs> but knowing there was a play in it's Pittsburgh against Detroit. You might remember this one, and. Top of the top of the extra inning, and Hernandez goes as a pinch runner, and there's a ball that Harrison hits that the center fielder can't hang on to, and Hernandez had gone by second, and then thought, oh, did he catch that? And he comes back. That was yeah. That and was he the, now as soon as he does yeah. that, he's taken. You know, when he first stepped on second, he's mm-hmm. removed a force play. When he came back the other direction, it's like he was never there on the. So first he has to play. step back on second again, right? Well, he, if he if he's gonna go if it were, if the ball were caught and he's got to get back to first base, of course he sure. does have to retouch yeah. second. But in this case, the ball's in play; it hadn't been caught. But as soon as you come back, it's like you were never there in the beginning. Yes. But then when Harrison is saying "Go, you idiot," so he takes <laughs> off at third. He doesn't bother to step in. The, now this is great when you stand in a pinch runner and he doesn't know what he's doing any more than that. <laughs> So he takes off for third, and this time he misses it. So, so he doesn't even step on third. No, no, oh, he doesn't step on second. He just cuts it, and he misses it completely. Yes. Maybe he thought because he stepped on it twice, yes. he didn't have to do it again. Well, <laughs> Just keep stepping on it. it does, you know, it doesn't even matter if you stepped on it either way, even if you missed it the first time or something and came back. You know, when you've passed it and come back, it's like you were never there. So Detroit appeals that he missed second base. He was called out, and it was confusing to the score because – he still gave Harrison a double. Well, it's a force out. And anytime there's a force out, no matter how it happens, and even if it's a, a base runner, yeah, then yeah. there's no hit on it. Yeah. And it also, because it was a fielder's choice, there were other implications on who was charged with the run that ultimately scored, who was yes. a losing pitcher, things like that. Yes. But that's an example of why scores, I think the score might have been confused. Like, well, what happened there? And he had him, I think he ruled him out at third. 
Well, no, it was a force play. It's the kind of thing that would have implications. Let's say that there were two out and there had been a runner on third base who came home on the play. Yeah. Whether or not they would have been able to right. count it. Yeah, the because of one score, right. that, yes. that, would be, that would be a force out. Yeah. There's, by the way, just as a little trivia, there was a play, I think Howard Emke had a no-hitter. I, I'm sort of into no-hitters in about 1926. That was kept alive because somebody apparently doubled but missed first base. Wow. So they appealed it, and it's not just you're out, but there's no yeah. hit. There's you know, no you're, hit. you're out That's at first. Amazing. You missed yeah. first. So he, he like hit a screamer into the gap, but didn't. Yeah. <laughs> didn't yeah. Touch well, I mean, first. I'll tell you, it's it's so that play that happened in uh, the Pittsburgh Detroit game. Uh, that is actually for for those of you who um, listen to our intro to this this uh, wonderful podcast of ours. There is, I, and I'm blanking on the player's name now, so I'll put it on clubhousepodcast.com, but there is a line uh, of a, from a Giants broadcast of, and that was the, waste, the worst base running I've oh, ever yeah. seen. Yes. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? I've a very seen that similar one. play I'm, where he ran back to second, back then to and third, forth, three missed times it, or something, and, then just, yeah. and then cut from like the first, but between first and second, those base paths, just cut towards third base without even going towards the bag. Like the, the guy was just... Oh, it was! It's one of the best clips I've ever seen because of just the exasperation uh, in the announcer's voice of just what is what are you doing? Just yes. touch the bag. So uh, we'll put the clip on clubhousepodcast.com. But I would be very fascinated to see how they scored that. I, I would have to look back and see I'd what have you to would watch, do. Yeah, I'd have to watch the play. If I think in that case, well, let's say Hernandez had. After all this, and the Tigers didn't throw the ball in very well. They weren't really paying attention because they had the guy at third at that point. Even, and, and they made the throw to the plate, so he reached third. The Tigers have just heaved it to third, and he's tagged out there. At that point, he's just out. Yeah. <laughs> and now Harrison can get a hit because it's not a force out, but he can't get a double. If a guy's out at third base, you can't get a double. Really? Even after you pass second? Because I always yeah. assumed that it was once you pass second and you're heading to third. Oh, no, actually, you're no. right, because if you pass yeah. third, no, 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 you're right. I'm no, sorry. You can, you can also, you can get a double, let's say a guy's on second, who gets thrown out at the plate or stops at third. You can get a double on that. But because, and that happens sometimes because somebody holds up to see if a ball well, is so what about you're, 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 you're talking about if the trail, if Harrison was already on base and somebody hit the ball. Is that what you're saying? Well, no, no um, well, in, th in this case... If they had just thrown to third and put Hernandez out there yeah, and never actually did an appeal at second, because at that point it's irrelevant, then Harris could get a hit because it wasn't a force sure. out. But it could only be a single because yes. a runner got put out yeah, there. Now, on the other yeah. hand, let's say that there had, been, there had been two out in this play and there was a runner on third, and the Tigers throw him out at third base. Then if they're wise, they stay on the field and they can still appeal that because by appealing it and getting a force out to win the, the run inning, then there's no run. Yeah, yeah. And that's a matter, you know what, that's a matter of people knowing the rules, particularly managers, very well. Here's a rule that we came up a couple of years in a row here, and there was confusion. But And I won't even say who did what, but second and third with one out. And... Long fly to the outfield, and the guy in second just takes off, assuming it's going to be caught or going to fall in. And the, the runner on third at least does tag. But he's also then looking at, rather than just tagging and running home as fast as he can, he knows that this other runner is going to be doubled off second base. He's yelling at him, get back, get back. Well, I look, and the you know, center fielder throws the ball into the shortstop. We've got a double play. You know, the ball's caught by the center fielder, throws to the shortstop. And I figure, well, 
sure the run must have crossed the plate. You know, I turn my attention there, and the runner isn't anywhere close to the plate. The runner and also the manager didn't know. They were under the assumption that this kind of a play would prevent any run from scoring. Uh, because, it's yeah, not yep. a force it's play. Not a force That's yep. not yeah. a force yep. out. It has yep. a similarity that you don't need a tag. Mm-hmm. But it's not a force out. That's interesting. And yeah, I know the that's rules. That's why I found so out. So he gave up. He just yeah. He just, well, just kind of jogged home. He was like, oh and, man, I don't score. Just figure, well, if he had beaten the throw, if he had yeah, beaten the relay, the timing play. Yeah. If he had, if he had yeah. crossed the plate before, because well, the force he, he out yeah. is the first out. Yeah, of course. The, the, yeah, of course. That's the out yeah, that matters. Yeah, yeah, Any course. outs that happen after that, that's just yeah. outs that happen because you get yourself in the down and let us run score or whatever. Right. That's really. The people get confused and they think it's a force out because you know on doubling off a runner. Yeah. You don't have to tag him. Yeah. You right. just have to catch a ball on the base. Right. right. So it's got that similarity, but it doesn't have the similarity as a force out in that with a force out being the third out of an inning, no run can score on the play. So uh, I got a couple of scoring questions. Yeah. Um, one is the something that he, uh, that Anthony and I have, have uh, discussed a couple of times when we've seen it, which is the idea of catcher's indifference or fielder's indifference for right. – a steal for a a or or just you know uh, take an extra bag. For you, is it does it is it completely subjective? Is there a line where you say it's the X inning, the the lead is by X much, and so it's catching difference? Or how does that work? For yeah, you? for a defensive indifference or a stolen base, a lot of it is a situation, and the classic situation would be you've got the ninth inning, and the team at bat is down by at least a run, so or, or by by more than a run, I should say. So, so let's say you're down by two runs, you got a runner on first. That runner by himself doesn't do anything with you, you know, unless you score two runs, the game's over. Right. So the team in the field may choose to play the first baseman back to maximize its chances of so, putting the so batter. So that out. alone will tell you it's fielders' difference. That might the first be about the biggest holding, thing, holding yeah, on. that yeah. we'll look at in that situation. Now, sometimes the team in the field will also at least until two out might want to still hold that runner to keep the double play as a possibility. After two out, maybe move move the first baseman back. It's still nice to leave that guy at first base and have an option of a force, but it's a situation. And, and or if a team has a, a big lead or something like that, it might just decide we want to we want to get out. So we don't care if this guy in first goes to second. Uh, so they'll they'll play in a way to maximize the chance of getting an out as opposed to keeping a runner farther away from home plate. But that's probably the biggest thing that we'll look at is the first baseman holding. Now, sometimes you'll see that so, sort of sneak up on play a little bit behind the runner. Uh, and, and then maybe move back when the, the pitcher delivers. And we'll then look at other things, too. Did anybody cover second base? Just the reaction sure. of the catcher. Sure. But sometimes, you know, it happens where a guy takes off and the catcher makes no effort to throw down. Maybe he just didn't get a good pitch to handle and just let him go. But the guy's being held by the first baseman. So and that would be a steal. Yeah. 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 Uh, or a catcher well, might happen. I think yeah. in the game that we saw, where I believe it was Lester on the mound, and just he's famously this year yeah. been, been tagged with. He doesn't throw over to first, so I think the gentleman just got a very, very large jump, and it was kind of like, well, you know, yeah, we're just going to concede go. that stolen base. Yeah. But yeah. now, do you get a lot of, or have you ever gotten someone who has called you and said, "Hey, that should have been a steal," like you know, uh, or like what are the, what are the most common? First of all, has it ever happened to you where a player has called the, you and said, "Hey, I think you got that wrong." How does that make you feel as far as, you know, or do you get, you know, do you understand it? Or do you say, hey, I'm doing my job. I know what I'm doing. 
you know, don't question me. You know, what, what is... Back in the more stressful days, we deal through team representatives, and sometimes they would convey it rather strongly. If a player had conveyed it strongly to that person that he wasn't happy with the call. Sure. And I guess, uh, and can't tell you exactly what was said or how it was conveyed, but I've said, I'll go talk to the player. No, 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 we'll take care. You know, I feel I'd rather go talk to the player. If he sure. wants to cuss me out, I'd rather, I'd rather just deal directly with them than have you say, I'm mad because this player cussed me out, so now I'm going to cuss you out. I, hey, let's just get it direct. Um, and, you know, probably what I would do is just listen to the player, be respectful, and say, you know, tell them, just as I would tell a team rep, this is why I called it as I did. And right now it is more like to, to not to not kind of get in the player's face and say, hey, if you don't like it, send it in, but it is to be able to say, this is why I called it as I did, or I'll go look at the re replay again and give it another look and consider what you said. But, you know, I understand that if you're not happy with it, you have the right to send it in. That's fine. It's no problem with me. But, yeah, I really haven't had to do it. Now, way back it was the beat writers who would cover through the official scoring, sometimes for the same game they're covering. There was a conflict of interest <laughs> in that why that ended. Yes. And... I suppose some could get cussed out when they go down to get quotes, but that was why the conflict was that Major League Baseball decided this isn't a good thing. The newspapers decided this isn't a good thing, that somebody wants to go down and get a quote from a player after the game, and now you get a you get one of these borderline plays, and you think if I call it an error and take a hit away from him, he's going to be mad and won't talk to me. So yeah. that's that's not how you want things being done, and that's why... It may be retired. Well, it can be just about anybody. You know, my background was different things, and I was just asked if I, when they were going to need another scorer, if I wanted to do it. Well, if I can tell you who our backup official scorer now for the Minnesota Twins is, Kyle Trainer. Uh, Kyle Trainer is a Mayo Clinic doctor. His specialty is gynecology. And, of course, that's a very serious profession. And, as you know, press boxes are very serious places. <laughs> so we never make light of that. I'm sure you do. Yeah. Oh, sure. Press boxes are a fun place to but, be. I, yeah. Yeah. No, no we, we have a good time with that one. Kyle does <laughs> official scoring for Northwoods League, which is a collegiate wood bat league. He loves scoring. He that's loves awesome. it more than gynecology. Although I know a lot of official scorers who would probably rather be doing gynecology. But right. Or so they think. Or so they think. After a while, they all look alike, <laughs> I guess. But you, you, you talk about, you, you know, you can watch enough baseball games, you'll see something you've never seen yes. before. I don't know if that's the case with gynecology. <laughs> but, but Kyle also does St. Paul Saints game in the Independent League. And he is... You know, he, he just asked Greg Wong, the other official score one time, can I come up and just shadow you guys and learn from you? And, well, he, he's he got, well, there's a different kind of background experience, but it's somebody who's just done a lot of baseball, seen a lot of it. He's got good judgment. He knows the rules. And he's our backup here and at some point might become the, you know, one of the regular crew. Yeah. We're going to take just a brief break so that Anthony and I can tell you about our first giveaway. I have a 2016 baseball stadium's wall calendar for sale through TF Publishing. They're available at Amazon.com, Calendars.com, as well as your local Meyer Big Lots, Stop and Shop, and more. I'll include all this info about how you can purchase one of my uh, calendars at my website, roundingthird.net. 
for now, Anthony has a very exciting announcement to tell you all about. So uh, we're going to have our first giveaway. It's a giveaway contest. Here, It's very simple. Uh, we are always looking for more trivia questions to ask our, our guests for, their, for the game that we play at the end. Um, so if you have any cool trivia questions about your favorite team or about any team that you love or anything, send them to us, please, at clubhousepodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at clubhousepod. And we will look through those. And if we wind up using one of your questions, we will give you a free signed wall calendar. And it will be signed by Manish, who was the photographer. He will sign the Detroit Tigers, Comerica Park picture. And I will sign the Wrigley Field picture because I am a diehard Cubs fan. So send us your questions, please. And uh, good luck. If you are a new listener to the Clubhouse podcast, welcome. For more great baseball conversations, take a look at our archives like our chat with film and television actor Joey Slotnick. In this clip, Joey relives the memory of being in attendance for the infamous Steve Bartman game at Wrigley Field. So incredibly exciting. And I remember people around me, you know, when it got to it, it was like five more outs. I I heard five more outs, five more outs. And they were saying it out loud. And I thought to myself, I thought to myself, what do you, what do you, please, please be quiet. Don't say anything. And then, and then this thing happened. And of course there were, there's no replay. Uh Uh-huh. You don't see a replay, but there was this, you know, off to like in front of me and just to the so left. you could see it. Oh yeah, my God. Yeah. And, and you just kind of didn't know. You know, I mean, like everyone stood up when because when, you thought Moises was going to catch it. And then, and then he, you know, of course, a little up, upset by it and kind of running oh. around. And then, but you didn't know. And so people, of course, around you had headphones on. You kind of looked here. But it was, everyone was standing up and there was a buzz. And you weren't quite sure what was going on. And now, back to our chat with Stu Thornley. Mm-hmm. And how long have you been doing it? I've been doing it at the major league level since 2007. I started doing um, official scoring more because of public address announcing in the 80s and the 90s. In fact, it was at a community college state tournament, and I'm going to do the public address announcing. And they said, oh, by the way, do you know you're the official scorer? Oh, okay, well, that's interesting. And in the 90s, there was another professional team that was in Minneapolis, and I did some of their public address announcing, and they said, hey, we need you to do official scoring. So, and then doing the online scoring for game day for MLB.com, which is different. I mean, you're not making the judgment calls there of hit or error, but you better know how to keep score. I've, I guess one of the things is that from within the year of going to my first game, I was keeping score in a pretty somewhat detailed way. It's gotten more detailed over the years. And I always felt like I've got a knack for official scoring, I used to, or for scoring, for keeping score of a game. I don't get lost in it. I don't fall behind. I, I would think, gee, why can't I have a knack and something handy in life? <laughs> yes, you know? yes. Although no, it's, no it's, I love scores. Yeah, well, it's, you know, and I still, when I go to the game, whether I'm doing the official scoring or not, I, I keep score. It keeps me in the game. I I need something to do. And, and so it, it all fit in that way, too. Well, you know, we just uh, uh, did spend a couple games at City Field and uh, seeing some of the Cubs games. And... Uh, Anthony has been talking to me about his amazingly awesome friend Monica for a long time. Who I, happens to be a Cardinals fan? Who's a I Cardinals do not hold fan. that against her because okay. I love her with my yeah. whole heart. <laughs> yes, but good. It, this is my first time being able to meet Monica, and Monica uh, sits next to me at City Field, and she pulls out her official uh, scorecard, and she begins to keep score. And Anthony tells me that she keeps score at every game she goes to, and she writes little notes about what she, you know, who she saw the game with, et cetera. And it's she has all of. All of the games she's ever gone to, she has a scorecard with the but score it's a, on it. But it's it. a bound score book. Yeah, I, yeah, that's what I had yeah. eventually. I bought 
would get a bound score book, yeah. And that just made me fall in love with her in, in a millisecond. It's just, oh, I Oh, sure. Love... So Manisha's trying to confess that he's fallen in love with you, you see. That's what's I really have. Yeah, I There is something that, see, I don't think I am that great at scoring. I think I used to, when I was growing up uh, going to Tiger Stadium, it's one of the ways that I fell in love with this game is seeing the old timers, seeing the guys that would sit there. Some of them would be gruff and not want to talk to me or whatnot, but I'd be seeing them, you know, being an annoying little hyperactive kid. Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you writing? What are you writing? And I'd see these little marks, these little, you know, letters and all these little numbers that I had no idea what any of them were. And, you know, I always say that that I love math because I love baseball. I don't love baseball because I love math. Like I started liking numbers and those things because of baseball and because of seeing how it all can can come from this very this this hieroglyphic esque type type uh, 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 language that is written. So I just I wish I was a better scorekeeper because I'm not great at it. You know, I'm I'm a little too ADHD and I get a little too distracted <laughs> all over the place and I kind of have to either zone in and focus and cut out all the rest of the noise or you know I'm just I'm going to be lost an I, inning in. I think I've got all the acronyms ADHD and OCD <laughs> and all of that and maybe some of that at least or maybe the combination but that at least keeps me focused on the game so my mind isn't going elsewhere. Sure. Years ago, I, I was in Toastmasters, and there was somebody who gave a speech and brought in a musical score that was framed that he kept over his fireplace, so this large musical score. And I don't remember what it, you know, Mozart or something like that, but he, he called the score itself a work of art, not just the music that would right. come from it, but this is a work of art. That's how I look at a completed score sheet. A okay. snowflake, there's no two alike, and these hieroglyphics, and it... The, the game itself is, to me, a work of art. To all of us, I'm sure it is. But just looking at that score sheet and seeing where the runs were scored or where there was a long string of the pitcher getting the batter out, oh. that, that is the same thing. It represents what happened, but it, it has that special meaning to me as well. Well, I mean, I'm a box score guy. I, you know, I, I grew up before the Internet was as, as you know, just ubiquitous as it is today. And so I remember being when the Tigers were on the West Coast, I'd have to wait a full day for yeah. the newspaper <laughs> yeah. to, to you know have the box score out. So I'd be waiting, I'd be running home to see the newspaper to read the box score and all. So I, I'm a big, big box score guy. And you're right. I think I love that. It is a box score in and of itself is a work of art. Yeah. And it's 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 beautiful. Yeah, it's a representation of the game, but more than that, I think. Yeah. Now here's a question that I always wonder. You 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 grew up a twins fan. The Twins and Yankees. And Yankees. But yeah. I, did you maintain your relationship to the Twins over the years of, of even when you were out of town? Or? Yeah. Um, I was, well, when I was in central Minnesota, and in fact, I could get back on my one day off sometimes to see the Twins. When I was in Missouri, I was about 45 miles out of St. Louis. So which, guess which team I went and saw. Yeah. You both, did you, but did you start <laughs> to be a fan of them? or? Yeah, I did for that year, yeah. but... You know, my, my fandom could sort of vary. The first time I went to Wrigley Field and fell in love with Wrigley Field, I became a Cubs fan, too. And Leo DeRocher was the manager. And I, I don't know whether he was a good manager or bad. You can analyze that 1969 season all over the place with Leo DeRocher. But, oh, yes. Oh, yes. But, uh, I wasn't you know, alive, but the, the, read I read enough stories and seen enough recaps on TV to feel the sadness. You feel the pain. And I did see Leo get into an argument. You know, it's kind of like, wow, that's, you know. Hey, that's pretty good. I saw Leo DeRocher getting this is what he's known for. So I was I was kind of a Cubs fan. They got yeah, uh, for a while, but one of the things when I went to St. Louis, it was such a huge change because 
by this time in Minnesota, the Twins were down, the Vikings were up, in addition to football really t- overtaking baseball anyways. And down in St. Louis, where they are known for good baseball fans, and I'll say that because I saw that when I it's lived true. down there. I, yep. I, I saw it too. I, I would get up there, you know, pretty often while I could. It's 45 miles away. It took a little while. But um, one of the things I saw, I can't remember if I saw women keeping score, but I would see women there without their boyfriends. At yep. Met Stadium, if you saw a young woman there, she was with a guy. I, I'm not going to bore the audience with the story because I've told it a couple times on the podcast, but it's so listen to back episodes. I'll tell you off the air. But yeah, I met some of the most incredible women at uh, Bush Stadium, not with their husbands, not with their boyfriend. They were awesome, amazing fans. I consider myself to be a pretty big baseball nerd. These women were schooling me. Like it was so cool and fun to hear them just, yeah, make me look like a fool. And, Is that why they uh, call it Bush Stadium? Oh, boy. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> wow. We are sitting in a, in, in a press box, folks. So that's yep. that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I missed that part of the being in the press box. Yes. Please. Okay. I apologize for that one. <laughs> no need. No Just to, you know, yeah. No, it was. Uh, <laughs> the uh, other thing that happened is, well, I went to a party and that turned out to be just like this wild thing. I was going to go over to one of the other announcers. I was, I was old enough to drink up here in Minnesota, but when I got down there and I was 19 and... No, I wasn't old enough to drink. I finally figured out when you go into a bar and they ask for your driver's license, rather than do the old, oh, ding, forgot it in the car, you know, just hand them the driver's license because they couldn't do the subtraction anyway. But (laughs) one of our other announcers was moving into this house, and he said, here, give me a couple bucks, I'll pick up this back in the day. Give me a couple bucks, I'll pick up a six-pack. And it was Monday night when we had Monday night baseball. And so... I go over, and there's a wild party going on. As it turns out, the guys who were moving out of the house decided to have one last party. But what I remember is I sat down, because I have enough of a, I figure I'm going to get razzed for being a real geek here sitting on the couch to watch a baseball game. And another guy sitting there said, so you're a baseball fan? He said, I'm a baseball freak. And I thought, wow, I don't hear that in Minnesota. You know, or if somebody was, like me, you didn't admit it. It just wasn't cool. Part of it was the fortunes of the Twins and Vikings at that time. But football was just a much bigger thing here. And people didn't go. And the Twins weren't always, that that year when I was gone, but that year they were bad. But they had had a few seasons around 500. They were more abundant. That's what it was. was There's nothing to get excited about with them. And St. Louis, I think that team finished only a couple of games over 500. But for much of the season, they were in the race. So it was exciting to go there. And this was Lou Brock and Bob Gibson's last season. People like that. It was, Brock, it was one of the other ones that got away. I just see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, everybody Sorry. thought it was a good deal at the time. Wow, they're giving up this kid we haven't heard of, and we get Ernie Brolio is <laughs> a great pitcher, and it didn't quite work out that way. No. So uh, we are sadly, you know, running low on time. Wait, there's can a I just, more there was things. one more question that I had. Uh, oh, please. To all yeah, this, yeah, of course. Bring it up to date. Now that you're you're an official scorer, do you, how do you feel your allegiance or fandom or your relationship to the Twins? I mean, obviously, it can't affect the scoring decisions you make, but when you're watching a game, do you find yourself still sort of invested in the outcome, or are you purely being objective with, like, looking at... I mean, because I do feel like they're separate questions. Like, whether or not it's a hit or an error, right. you know, doesn't mean the game is won or lost. Right. You know, but... Do you still find yourself, you know, rooting for the team or not? Well, or? you try to pull away from that. But on the other hand, I'm still a fan of baseball. And it's like if I go to somewhere to see a game and I don't really have a rooting interest in either team, but to see something 
great yeah, or, or a great yeah. player do great. Yeah. I, I always admire that. Um, but beyond that, yeah, you, you do pull away from that. And obviously you don't play fantasy baseball or you don't do anything that's going to give anybody any reason to question what you're doing in your integrity. You've got to keep that. I, I, and, and I play it more serious than I normally do in life, which isn't too serious, but mm-hmm. now there, you, you know, I was just quoted in the paper recently, you know, I'm the essence of propriety and dignity, which outside of doing <laughs> this attest, job, I'm we can, we can not, call them up and say that's not true. Yeah. You can tell, <laughs> yeah. call them up and, and say that's not true. But, and uh, now the other thing, I'll just put it this way. Last night's game went 10 innings and it was still 249. I like, what they're sure. doing with, with the pace of game stuff. But you want to get home, and at that point, you're rooting for either team to break it open. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can hear, I hear that. So uh, there is so much more that I want to talk to you about, but, but we might be able to get to that after we do the trivia game. But we do have a trivia game okay. that we play on this, on this uh, and, podcast. And here we are. We're talking to a historian I know. who wrote a book about... Twins baseball. So I will say that that the Woo. fans have heard me uh, uh, kvetch about putting together these these uh, questions in the past because I always, it's amazing to me how there is not like some singular source on the interwebs of team trivia. So like if you Google Minnesota Twins trivia or Chicago Cubs trivia or Chicago White Sox trivia or what have you, there really isn't like it's very basic. Like yeah, who was the manager in 2014? That's not trivia. That's just an ant. That's just a question. Like that's nothing. I worked very hard to get some questions that I feel like might challenge you. All right. Now we'll you're see. putting the pressure on. Let's we'll see. see. So there's a way the game is played. You are the batter. You represent the various batters, I should say, okay. of the inning. Um, there are up to f- there are f- up to four. You get three outs. Um, the first question on the you know it goes it progressively more difficult. We hope. We think. Okay. First batter would hit a single, second would hit a double, third triple, fourth home run. So it's possible that you could score four runs for the Twins. Wow. You know, that's possible. <laughs> no one's done it yet. The, yeah. You know, we've had a couple of folks uh, get a triple. two runs. Yeah. yeah, get a triple, but no one has gotten a home run quite yet. Yeah. Um, that sounds like my sex life. <laughs> get to first base, that was a big achievement. <laughs> well, I hope I can at least leave a runner on board here in this one. Well, yeah. we'll see what happens. Now batting. Lead off for the Minnesota Twins. The center fielder, number seven, Stu Thornley. Guy goes wild. So this is you are digging into the box now. Yep. And this is for a single. Mm-hmm. Who drove in the winning run in Game Seven of the 1991 World Series? Gene Larkin. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just a that's single. That's just a single. You know, it's a single. That I is. Told you it was going to be easy. Hit off of Alejandro Pena that's in the tenth right. inning. Before we move on, real quick, that 1991 World Series game. I need to know your opinion on this. It comes up all the time on this podcast. The pitcher in that game should he be in the Hall of Fame? That game and other good postseason performances pushed Jack Morris a lot, and you know this is a tough one because. Like Jack Morris. And if he were in the Hall of Fame, that's great. But I think he's kind of in the category where could go either way. And I say this on a lot of players. If he's in, I got no problem with that. If he's not in, I don't think it's a real injustice either. So 
I suppose I should just be safe and say, of course, he belongs in the Hall of Fame. He was a great pitcher. You know, I remember that those 84 Tigers. Yes. And, of course, he's a local guy here from St. Paul. Uh, he was the, big, the lead pitcher for three world championship teams, and he deserves yes. that kind of credit, too, and particularly for Game 7 of the 91 World Series. Yeah, I think that in and of itself is such a special, special game. Now, if that was the only thing he never did, I'd say, all right, fine. Right. But because you... You, you you connect that with everything else he did. It's it's the argument that you hear from, I, I'm a part of Sabre as well, and from all the, the Sabre metrics folk out there, is he'd have the worst ERA in the Hall of Fame. And what I always say to that, and I've said it on the show, somebody has the highest ERA in the Hall of Fame right I, now. I, absolutely. Do you know who it is? I don't know who no, it is. No, I don't know who Nobody it is. Nobody knows who it is. So someone's going to have the highest ERA. <laughs> who cares? Like, yeah. that's going to happen. All right, sorry. But now, you got a man on first. I just want to say, of too, I feel like that single was first pitch swinging, screaming line drive that would have been a double. It was cut <laughs> off, and it was only held to a single, but was, like, smoked that It was ball. a Miguel Cabrera single because you yeah. hit it so hard, it got to the yeah. – It got So, actually, it was I a, a yeah. Joe Maurer single. Joe Maurer hit it uh, so hard. So hard enough. So hard. That like off the green monster. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you With those great advance. wheels of mine, I couldn't quite make it. Okay. <laughs> I feel like okay. this is – I feel I like this is going to be such a gimme now. No, no, we don't know. No, no, we don't okay. know. You so, you know, you got your runner dancing off first. It's possible you could score the runner with a, with a double. It's possible, right. even with nobody out. Yeah, we, the, we, we you know, make it always the same. Yeah, yeah we, we are our official scorers of our own game. <laughs> okay. No so, topic of interest. In franchise history, which includes the history of the Twins and the Senators, okay. Okay, how many times have the Twins or Senators won 100 or more games in a season oh, and when? Okay. Do I, do I get like a little variance here? Because the Twins have won it once in 1965. <laughs> okay. That's the answer. Okay. That's the answer. Okay. That's I was going to say, because I don't know that the double center... uh, high off the wall in center field just missed a home run. Okay. Did we just hold the run at third? No. He's, no, he's, he, he was, oh, I got an RBI was, on was, that, yes, too. 100%. A run scores. I just... <laughs> You see, but that's where, though, the Senators, this is why I thought I was going to trip him up. Because the Senators part of that, I thought that was where he was going to trip you up. Because, yeah, I wasn't sure what your knowledge of Washington, because for those of you who don't know, the Minnesota Twins were originally the Washington Senators from 1901 to 1960, I believe it was. Then they became the Twins in 61. And then the Senators, can, like, did they exist again? Did they open well, they, up? They 60? put an expansion team in Washington as that the was Senators there again. Seventy one, that, became, that the became the Texas Rangers. Yeah. and then um, yeah, yeah. So mm -hmm. yeah, the, the, the Washington right. baseball. Woo. All right, well, yeah. uh, this 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 pitcher is just sad right now. This pitcher is like, <laughs> well, what he's am I? got a chance to work his way out of this. Well, we got true. a man it's on true. second now. You still got nobody out in this inning. A man on second, and this is going to be for a triple. All right, here we go. How many times have the Minnesota Twins had a batting champion? And please name all of the batting champions they've had. Okay, as long as I can count. Tony Oliva won three. I'm doing this on fingers now. <laughs> Carew's the one I've got to go. Okay, Carew was 69, <laughs> 72, 73, 74, 75, 77, 78. So we're up to 10. Then we have Kirby Puckett, that's 11. <laughs> and Joe Maurer three times. I'm having to take my 
shoes and I, I couldn't count up to 21 unless I was naked. I think I got 14 out of, out of those. <laughs> I am so disappointed with myself. This is, you are, I am the pitcher. I am getting shelled right now. You, there's a man on third now. Nobody, Nobody out. Two runs are in. If you get this question, this is a question that, that all right, you know what? Here's, here's for a home run. Oh my god. I can't I'm, squeeze a guy home. Oh no, no. Go this home. This oh. is this you got you got three chances. Oh, okay. Your outs will be strikeouts or pop-ups. Yeah, you got oh, three shots. This, this is the only chance. Okay. The Here only we go. Chance. Okay. All no right. wild no wild pitches. I think I got you stumped on this one. We'll see. Okay. Who is the Minnesota Twins all-time leader in box? See, <laughs> 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 okay. Oh, I'd have to think of somebody who pitched here a long time and so this is one of those educated guesses. And there was also a period in 1988 where they were calling the Bach more off. You know, I'm just going to go. I'm going to say Frank Viola. Okay, swing and a miss. Swing, swing and a miss. Yeah, That's yeah. one out. So you have one out now, man on third. You have two more shots at this question. Oh, I get. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You've got two more shots yeah, at this yeah. question. Still doesn't make it any. You made it to the end without it. recording an well, out. I got to think of who's pitched here for a while. Burt Bly 11? Nope. That's, oh, a, that's a pop up okay. right at the end. Too. That's okay. two outs. Okay. So one more out. Oh, oh, I'm, getting, I'm excited okay. now. I'm, I'm working my way out of this inning. Well, then I'm just going to do it straight by who had the most years with the team and say Jim Cott. No. Unfortunately, whiffed at three. And yeah. the, uh, would you like to say so, uh, the the winner of this dubious honor is Roger Erickson. Really? Who had 14 with the Twins. He also had one more with the Yankees. Just for little other trivia buffs yep. out there who are interested in such weird stats. Because we had to come up with something. I mean, yeah, that is story, a good one. Right? Yeah. Steve Carlton is the all-time Major League Baseball What's record holder guess? for box. Well, with, that I didn't know. With, Guess, know, how, guess, yeah, guess, guess, guess how, how many? Guess how many he had? So, so uh, we well, have fifteen or fourteen for the uh, league well, leader for the twenty-year career. I'd say uh, two hundred ten. Oh, oh, okay. No, well, no. 90. 90. He had 90. Oh, okay. But he wasn't doing fourteen a year. The at least. next closest in all of the history of baseball, when they were recording this particular stat, is Bob Welch for the Dodgers had and and the A's had forty-five. So he had twice as many as the second. Now closest that's an interesting in question to be able to ask him sometime. About mm -hmm. How did you box so much? Well, I think, honestly, I would love to, uh, you know, we need to try and get uh, an umpire on the show, which I'd be curious how much they'd be willing to even, even, even talk about. But the balk is the most, is, is the most frustrating score, you know, uh, or scorer's decision that I, I've ever seen. Like, I, I well, never... It's not the scorer's decision. Uh, the I'm sorry, decision. the umpire decision, I should say. Right. Um, that I've, I've... I don't know. I, I mean, some of them are pretty obvious, especially now since they took away the the fake throw to third to first. Um, yeah. That is that's a balker. I get that one, but the making a baseball move to the play, I don't know. It just seems so over overly subjective to me, and I just I don't understand it. I I will put it on the air right now. I don't understand balks. Well, like I say, I just see him put their arms up and a runner moving on, and I say, okay, that's a balk. But I usually, you know, once in a while you can see something pitcher drops the ball and the mound. Or, and I know. Yeah, yeah, some, those are some of the throws over to first, especially by a left-hander. You've got to bring your foot down on that forty-five degree angle side of first base. But you know, one of the things is that you're talking about major league pitchers who they're not going to mess up that much, so it's going to be subtle. Right. It's not going to be like a little league game where a you know kid thinks he can fake a throw to first and <laughs> find out that he can't. It's going to be a lot more subtle than that, and. 
I'm I'm amazed, you know, at the umpires with all the things they have to watch, and that is still something that they can be can keeping see, an eye yeah, out. I yeah. think I watch a lot of the baseball game, but if there's some almost imperceptible thing that the pitcher's done, I just hear the and you know if I feel like it, I look over at the replay to see to see what what's um, see if I can see what it is, and, and even then sometimes I don't. Well, so we're we're gonna have to wrap this up soon because okay. uh, uh, you know we're going a little bit long, and you got a job to do tonight. We don't want to yep. get uh, in in your way. There are well, just to recap there. So the Twins do now have two runs on the yes. board. So you did a a, a boy a, did that pitcher dance out of danger. Yeah, Woo! you know that was that was. Uh, well, get the big strikeout when you need it. Exactly. You know, Roger Settled Clemens like or something <laughs> like that. But there's two more things I wanted to quickly go over with you. The first is I brought it up in my intro. I am utterly fascinated by this so if you could just tell me a brief story about about this part of your life you have a hobby we'll just call it and you've written a book about it as well about visiting hall of famers grave sites right yeah i explain that please because that's awesome i'm i'm morbid <laughs> uh, it's you know a friend and i who would make our trips our baseball trips and we at one point just got talking which which president's graves have you been to and finally it happened where we just started making a point to go visit graves when we were on these other trips and it could be anybody who's notable you know and knocking off them themes manson victims i think i've seen three of those or something like that you know the more obs you know kind of offbeat stuff that i like that but i got going with hall of famer graves and they're all over the place including cuba but when my wife and I went to Cuba in 2001, we were able to get to grave down there. And at that point, I just decided, well, I'm going to get to the rest of them. They're in the United States, but they're different places. And I, I love it for the sense of that going to a cemetery to see a grave of a Hall of Fame or anything else, that you it gives your journey a destination. You know, the journey is the cool part, getting there and enjoying the ride. But... Just a journey without a destination is sort of aimless roaming. Now, I, I don't think I'd ever really felt like I was in Brooklyn that much until I started going to some cemeteries. And now, hey, I'm experiencing Brooklyn. Uh, and different parts of the country, different parts of a city. So there is there is a real enjoyable aspect. And that's my kind of collecting, too. We talked about baseball cards. You're trying to complete your collection and get this entire set. Well, instead, with the... With the uh, collecting of this and I, I finally at one point was current with all the baseball hall of famers who have graves <laughs> yeah sure. now what about is ernie banks well you know where his place of rest is supposedly when we were in chicago somebody took us there and he's sure because his death certificate says graceland cemetery which is up, up clark street from wrigley field and had identified the location he took it to us it's unmarked i understand it could be moved that there's a little bit of a custody battle yeah that's happened with more than one ted williams Uh, there have been a few hall of famers where there get to be between siblings or between numbers of wives (laughs) things like that that get to be up in the air so apparently he's not up in the air right now but he could be again sure so do you have any rituals when you go is there anything you is there is there something you say or you do or you bring or or something you well i take a picture but I'm not, I know some people will do certain things, like somebody's got, I think, a Hall of Fame ball project where he's getting a ball. I met that ball. guy, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Ralph Car- Carper. Yeah, he's a I nice never guy. met Ra- Ralph, but he's out in New York. But the funny thing was, the first Hall of Fame grave I ever went to was Babe Ruth. I had some extra time when I was in the New York area. And this was before I was doing any, any of this regularly. 
but I was taken by all the offerings left at Babe Ruth's grave. Mm. So I left a note that just said, Babe, you're the best. I signed it, dated it, I put the NY monogram on it. And a couple of years later, somebody sent me an email and said, did you leave a note at Babe Ruth's grave? And I said, yeah, why, how do you see it? He said, it's in the Babe Ruth Museum in Baltimore. And I was there some short time afterwards and there was a window display on his death and they had picked up two items. One was a baseball that some kid had left and then there was my note, kind of weathered. They must have come by shortly after. And I was able to get a picture of that too. That's, That's cool. Amazing. Yeah. So then there's there's one, uh, one last story. I wish I could, I wish you had more time. But uh, you know, one last question that we like to ask our fans or our, our guests: Can you think of in your life, kind of that one quintessential moment for you that that stands out to you as this is why I'm a baseball fan, this is why I'm a Twins fan. It doesn't have to be a big moment. It doesn't have to be a World Series game. It doesn't have to be anything. It's just that moment when you close your eyes and you think, when someone asks you, why are you a baseball fan? What it is about this game that you love? I don't think there's any one moment in it, but there's two, th- two photos I found in the Twins archives that I've used in books. And the first game I ever went to was with my dad, my mom, my mom's mom, my grandma, my brother. And Vic Powers stole home against Cleveland. And recently, I was going through their photo file, and I opened it up, and I just got excited. My gosh, this is it. And it's a great photo all by itself, even if there's no personal significance to it. Because Harmon Killebrew is pulling back, and I checked all the details to make sure Killebrew was at bat when this happened. Nestor Shylock's the umpire. John Romano, the catcher, is, is reaching out there. Uh, and that was terrific to find that. But another one that I have, I just have such a good memory of, and it's a, there's a great photo of Met Stadium. For whatever reason, that ballpark never got photographed that much from a panoramic standpoint. It seemed like there I was taking photos looking in. But there's a great panoramic photo, and you can see the scoreboard. So I could look it up, and I could find the game. And I said, my gosh, I was at this game, and it was... Uh, Saturday in May in 1964, and it was the first time that my, it was just my dad and me. And, you know, and that's kind of a special moment, going to the ball game just with your dad. Yep. And I can re- pretty much remember the whole, the whole day and all of that. It was a good game against the Kansas City Athletics, and Rocky Calavito hit a home run. So those weren't really necessarily what made me baseball fans, but it's moments like that that just started to put the game into me and wanting to do it. That's, Thank you for sharing all the things you did. Thank that you is very so much. Thanks, guys. Thank you. This is this has been so much fun. And uh, like I said, the next time we're in Minnesota, we're gonna have to uh, just talk to you again. Yeah. I, I could talk to you for hours. And we want to open. Uh, we want to invite you down to the Bergino Baseball Clubhouse. If you're ever in New York, come back to our uh, home park, and uh, you know we can show you around the city a little bit because this Good. is this has been a lot of fun. I, yeah, I will be in touch. I love it. Thanks, Thank guys. you so very much. And. Uh, to all of you guys out there, we will see you next time here in the Clubhouse. You can follow us on Twitter at ClubhousePod. Visit our website, clubhousepodcast.com, for extensive links and information about some of the baseball moments we discussed on the show. There are also photos from our cross-country road trip for you to peruse at your leisure. We love hearing from our listeners and getting you involved with the discussion, so please email us at clubhousepodcast at gmail.com. Tell us about your favorite baseball stories, your favorite baseball films, why your team or ballpark is so special. Or honestly, just if you want to say hello. 
The home base for the Clubhouse podcast is the Bergino Baseball Clubhouse, located at 67 East 11th Street in New York City. Seriously, folks, this is without a doubt my favorite baseball spot in the country. From the baseball-inspired artwork on the walls to the one-of-a-kind memorabilia for sale and the amazing baseball fans that are always hanging out on the bleachers inside the store, this place is just the best. If you can't make it into Bergino's in person, please visit bergino.com and pick up a gift for your father, your mother, your brother, or even just yourself. If you can make it in, mention the podcast to get a free bag tag with any purchase. The Clubhouse is produced by Zach McNeese. The website and logo were designed by Ronan Jora. You can follow Anthony and I individually at RoundingThirdMJ for me and at AlbinoKid for Anthony. Thank you so much for listening. Have an awesome week.